be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God taken from our epistolary lesson for this Sunday, written in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, reading there in the fifth chapter, the seventeenth verse. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Sons and daughters of the Protestant Reformation in Christ Jesus, dear friends, you who are here in God's house this morning and you also, Christian friends, who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. This coming Thursday marks the 446th anniversary of the great Protestant Reformation. It was on October the 31st, 1517, that a young Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther nailed onto the castle door of the church in Wittenberg in Germany 95 theses or propositions. And those hammer blows, believe me, Christian friends, rocked the earth to its very foundations. Those hammer blows that day changed the entire course of human events in this world. And all because those 95 theses or propositions had at their heart and center this question, what is the way to heaven? What is the way of salvation? What is the way to eternal life? And Martin Luther in those propositions proclaimed a way of salvation that was new. It was different than the accepted way of his day. That's why those hammer blows rocked the very earth on which you and I walk. And today as we stand 446 years later and we say to ourselves, what does that mean to me? And above all we look at it, we say, is it possible therefore since Martin Luther announced a new way of salvation one that was different from the accepted way of his day, is it possible today to come to the unvarnished truth with regard to the way to heaven? Is it possible to really know the truth? Is it possible to have the unadulterated truth? This is the way to heaven. I read as my text the word of God from the Apostle Paul to the congregation at Ephesus. And there in writing to them, he says these words, Wherefore, he says, Be ye not unwise, wherefore don't be fools, he tells the Ephesian Christians, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand and know the will of the Lord. In other words, what is the will of the Lord? What is the way of salvation? What is his will with regard to the way of eternal life? When Paul calls upon you and me through the word of God that we are not to be fools, that you and I are to be wise and therefore we are to understand the will of God with regard to the way of salvation, 
Let's realize this, that it is possible. It is not beyond our grasp. It is not beyond our reach that today, 446 years later, we can ask ourselves, what is the truth in this matter? What is the way to heaven and to eternal life? It is within our grasp because in the first place, God has given us his scriptures wherein is made known the way to heaven. Martin Luther wondered, what is the way of salvation? He wondered, is it the way I have been taught? Is it the way I have been told? Is it what others have told me? Is it what the church says? Is it what the church has decreed in its councils and in its decisions? Martin Luther said, I am going to turn to the Bible. Why? Because he found in the Bible that the Apostle Paul, writing to the young Timothy, had said these words in his second letter. He said, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been approved of, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Martin Luther knew that in the scriptures a man becomes wise to salvation. A man in the scriptures no longer is a fool that he turns to the scriptures and he finds the way of salvation. Because Paul had said to Timothy, Again, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures from the child which are able to make thee wise unto salvation because he says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is given by the authority of God that God's Spirit has moved men to write that they have written what God wants them to write without error. This is the inspired, the infallible word. And therefore Paul told Timothy, and it is profitable for doctrine to find out the truth, for instruction again that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so Luther turned to the word of God, to the inspired writings. What do the scriptures say? This is the only authority. This is the only inspired and infallible authority we have. Again, he knew that Christ had preached on earth. There was no New Testament when Jesus was preaching. Again, Christ preached and then came the apostles. They had the Old Testament. But when again they had preached, we say to ourselves, what did they preach? Do you realize Jesus never wrote a word as far as we know? We have no record of any writing of Jesus. It was written for him. The Holy Spirit therefore wrote down what Jesus had taught and what the disciples had preached that you and I might know the truth. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And therefore God's Holy Spirit wrote down for us that we have the New Testament. There was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who gave us written records of the life of Jesus. There was the book of Acts, the history of the Christian church of the first century, written by Luke, the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. And then came the letters that Paul wrote by inspiration of God as he went on his three missionary journeys and established Christian congregations. The letter to the Romans that we have. First and Second Corinthians, his letter to the congregation at Corinth in Greece. Galatians, the letter to the Galatian Christians up in the province of Asia Minor. And then Philippians up in Macedonia where Lydia, the seller of purple, lived, you recall. And in Thessalonica in Greece. 
And again, then the letters to Timothy and to Titus and to Philemon and the book of Hebrews, whether Paul wrote it, we do not know. But again, this is the letter to the Jewish Christians. And then we have the letter again of James, the brother of the Lord, and of Jude, the brother of the Lord. The two letters that the apostle Peter has left us, the three letters of John besides the gospel, and then finally the revelation, the apocalypse. God has given us this record by inspiration and it was Martin Luther that went to the Word of God and said, What does the Word of God say? This is the one and this is the only authority. And you and I have it. And therefore we can say today, 446 years later, This Bible is open to you and to me and to all men to go and find out for ourselves what does the Word of God say as regards the way to heaven and the way to eternal life. At the time of the Reformation under Martin Luther, movable type had been invented by Gutenberg. And therefore, when there came movable type, here was an opportunity to print the Bible. Luther went to the Wartburg, and there he spent time translating the entire Bible into the language of the German people. Think of it. What a colossal, gigantic task. The Old Testament, 39 books written in Hebrew, translating them into German. The 27 books of the New Testament written originally in Greek, translating them into German. When the German language didn't have the word, he invented the word. A friend and colleague of mine just coming back from Helsinki where the Lutheran World Federation was held came with a party into East Germany and he went to Eisleben where Luther was born and went over to Wittenberg and they went to the Wartburg Castle where Luther translated the Bible into the language of the common people and a communist guide said here is where a man by the name of Martin Luther invented the German language. That is all communism will say about him. But Martin Luther did more than invent the German language. He translated the Bible into the language of the people that the people might have the opportunity to go to the Word of God and find out what is this way of salvation. True, 446 years ago, Martin Luther did announce and promulgate a new way of salvation. It was new in this that it was different than the accepted way, but it really wasn't new. It was the way of scriptures. And that's why today as we stand 446 years later, we ought to say to ourselves, since Paul calls upon us not to be fools, but understand what the will of God is, know it, know the unvarnished truth, we ought to determine that that's what we want. And if we want it badly enough, then we would familiarize ourselves with the word of God. How many of us are content to take the minister's word for it? Content to take what the church says? Content to take what other individuals say as regards the way to heaven? The greatest question, the most important question in your life and mine. I was interested in reading that Cardinal Joseph Sittler from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, when Cardinal Ritter is his name, when Cardinal Ritter was over at the second assembly of the ecumenical conference in Rome, Cardinal Ritter, who is the Archbishop of St. Louis, in that cathedral where I have been many a time, he made this speech in Rome and he called upon his church. He said this when he was asked, what does the church need? He said, my church must go back to more preaching. It must have the preaching of the Word of God. There is too much liturgy in the church. There isn't enough preaching of the Word of God. And to that I say, yea and amen. Because that's what every church needs, is preaching of the Word of God. I was in St. Peter's Cathedral on a Sunday morning in Rome, and again, they were building the bleachers for the ecumenical meeting. They were sawing wood and hammering. You couldn't hear yourself think. And when you're in the cathedrals, you say, how could anybody be heard? Well, they were not built to be preached in. 
They were not built to be heard in. Because in the rendition of a liturgy, you don't have to hear much. There is no preaching. And therefore, again, they are built to preach in. That's what God wants. And when the Church of Jesus Christ, whether it's Roman Catholic or whether it's Lutheran or what have you, goes back to a preaching of the Word of God, then and only then shall we come to that untarnished truth and that certainty as regards the way of salvation. That's what we need. I know Lutheran ministers who have said to me, oh, give me the liturgy and you can omit the sermon. Listen, liturgy is all right, but sometimes I change it and put it into 20th century vernacular, and then you sit up and you act like you're awake and you take part, and the organist wonders, will I get my cue? But again, it can get humdrum. Yes, liturgy is all right, but it can never take the place of the preaching of the Word of God. That's exactly what we need. And again, thank God for anybody who wants to put it back in the church. Because if there's going to be unity, it's going to have to be unity on the basis of the Word of God. And the biggest question that faces you and me is simply this one, what is the way to heaven? 446 years ago, Martin Luther, in his theses, announced a new way of salvation. It was new in that it was different from the accepted way. And as you and I stand here over four centuries later and say to ourselves, can we come to certainty and know the unvarnished truth? We can. Why? Not only because, again, God has given us the scriptures where he's revealed the way, but in the second place, these scriptures that God has given us, they testify that we are saved by grace alone, that salvation is by grace alone. You may say, preacher, what do you mean, grace alone? You may say, you men preach in language that we can't understand and it goes overhead. Well, what good is preaching if it's overhead? What do you mean by grace alone? Paul says when he wrote to the Ephesians, we are saved by grace. By grace are ye saved. What do you mean grace? Think of grace. Grace is the undeserved love of God. It's the mercy of God. Let's get at it this way. Did you ever buy a package of food of some kind, either in a can or in a package, and it's set on the label, untouched by human hand? I'm sure you have. Where it, again, would have you know that no human hand touched this. This was prepared exclusively without a human hand having touched it. Use that for a moment. I think it will become clear what we mean by salvation by grace alone. Salvation by grace alone means this. It is untouched by human hand. Let me put it this way. Salvation by grace, by the mercy of God, means this. That salvation was bought and paid for, packaged and ready for you and me before you or I were ever born. Does that help? You and I never touched it. Salvation, eternal life, deliverance from hell and damnation has all been bought and paid and packaged without you and I ever having touched it. No human being. It is ready and has been before we were ever born. We had nothing to do with it, whatever. That's what grace means. Why? Because the love of God, this mercy of his, when God saw that we could not have anything to do with it, that you and I could not save ourselves, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, and he went to Calvary's cross, and there is the God-man, true God and true man. He bore the guilt and the punishment of your sins and mine, all of the guilt and all of the punishment. He bore the guilt of your coming into this world in sin and I coming into this world in sin. He bore the guilt of our mortal and, again, of our venial sins. He bore the guilt of every thought, word, and 
indeed of you and me before we were ever born. It was all bought and paid for in the sufferings and death of Jesus Christ. He bore the equal of an eternity in hell, untouched by human hands, that is, before you and I were ever born. That's what it means. We are saved by grace. Does that help? And that means this, then, that this salvation that this word of God proclaims, that is, by grace alone, has been bought and paid for and packaged and made ready for the entire human race from the time of Adam to the last child that will ever be born of woman. That's what grace means. But you and I may have a little problem. We may say, well, I can see where it's bought and paid for for me because I live after Calvary. How about those who live before Calvary? Well, the Bible answers that one too because it tells us that Jesus Christ, Calvary, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In the eyes of God, it was a timeless sacrifice. And Christ, in the eyes of his heavenly Father, was slain even before Adam was created. Therefore, salvation, eternal life for Adam and Eve were bought and paid for and absolutely boxed and packaged for Adam and Eve before they were ever created. Does that help? That's what it means that salvation is by grace alone. And you and I can say, is it possible that we may come to certainty? Well, this Bible says that we are saved by grace alone. Paul, again, writing to the Ephesians, says, By grace are ye saved. And it's been prepared, bought, and paid for, untouched by you and me, already waiting in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why today, 446 years later, we ought to say to ourselves, if I can come to certainty, if Paul says, be not unwise, don't be fools, and he says, understand what the will of God is, that I can come to certainty, that I can know this truth as regards the way of salvation, then I ought to thank God that God has restored that truth. True, it was new. And some say because it was new and different when Martin Luther announced it, because it was different from the accepted way, therefore it was wrong. Listen, it was new only in the sense that it was different. It wasn't new. It was as old as the Christian church. Take the book of Acts and go back to an account there of the council at Jerusalem that met in about the year 50. This was the problem that came up in the early Christian church. Is salvation by grace alone? Is it prepared by God alone through Christ? untouched by human hands. And there was a meeting in Jerusalem because the problem was vexing the church. Is that it? Well, what happened? Peter was there, and Peter told of his experience that he went to Caesarea. Remember when he's called to Caesarea? I stood in that old seacoast town, and there lived Cornelius, who was again a Gentile, a non-Jew. Cornelius wanted to be a Christian. And therefore, how does a non-Jew, a Gentile, become a Christian? Well, Jewish Christians thought that they had to be circumcised first and become a Jew. You've got to circumcise a Gentile, then you can become a Christian. But you see what that meant? Well, that meant that salvation was not by grace alone, that it had to be touched by human hand, that man was going to add something. Well, Peter said, when I went to Caesarea and I went into Cornelius' home and he wanted to be a Christian and I baptized him, he said the Holy Spirit manifested himself and we talked in languages that we had never learned before, just as we did on the day of Pentecost. Peter said, surely the Holy Spirit was telling us this is the way it is. And then Paul got up and Paul testified at that council meeting and he said, on my missionary journeys when I preached to Gentiles, he said, there was the manifestation of the Spirit. We never had to circumcise Gentiles. There was nothing they had to add. It was by grace. 
And then James, the brother of the Lord, he got up and testified on the basis of the Word of God, the Old Testament. This is what the Bible says. In the year 50, therefore, this thing was settled. When we talk about Luther announcing something new, sure it was new in the sense that it was different, but it was the same old way that goes right back to Jesus Christ that was settled in the Council of Jerusalem when again the Holy Spirit brought the church to a unity. This is it, and we ought to thank God for it, and we ought to thank God that we have it because, again, there is that certainty that we can have. We stand here 446 years later and we say to ourselves, uh, if he, Luther announced a new way, uh, after all, if it was different, uh, can we know? Can anybody know why it's within grasp? Because, again, we've got the Scriptures. It's the only authority. That's what he used. The Scriptures testify that salvation is by grace alone. In the third place, they testify this. God's Scriptures testify that salvation or the way to heaven is by grace alone through faith. You may say, now bring that down so I can understand it. What are you talking about, faith? Well, if grace means this, it's untouched by human hand. If you've got that, it was bought and paid for before we were born. Let's look at faith. What do you mean by that? By faith, we simply mean this, that this package, how do I get it, in other words? If grace, the mercy of God, has made it possible and it's been ready for me even before I was born, how do I get it? Well, what does the Word of God say? Luther was told that you get it again. You get it by earning it by your life. And so if ever a man ever tried to earn this gift of grace... Well, that was prepared before he was born. If ever a man tried to earn it by his life, he did. First of all, he became a monk, and that meant that he took the vow of poverty, renounced everything that he ever had. He took the vow of chastity to live a clean life. He took the vow of celibacy that he wouldn't marry. He went into the monastery. Again, he beat himself. He mortified the flesh. He did everything that he could. He starved himself. He beat his back that the blood would run, and all cried out, but it never satisfied. Oh, Lord, when have I done enough? You see, he was trying because he had been told that you get this gift by, again, earning it. You get it by your life. But isn't it marvelous that when he turned to the Word of God and he saw Paul writing to the Ephesians, all said, By grace are ye saved through faith. Now that means not by your life. Isn't it marvelous that it isn't by life? Luther was trying by his life, but he was haunted by this, that he knew that he thought evil thoughts. He spoke things that he shouldn't say. He had done things that he shouldn't have done. He had left undone many a thing that he should have done. And he cried out and he said, How can I buy my life? ever buy this gift of eternal life and everlasting salvation. And then he read in the Word of God that the just lives by faith or justification by faith. That justified man is a forgiven man. To be justified means, again, to be saved. It means to have God declare you without sin by faith. Faith, therefore, means it's not on the basis of life. It means that this gift becomes yours and mine on the basis of faith, which means to trust. It means to just humbly trust Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And that's what Martin Luther found, and oh, what a joy, that he, a sinner, could have this salvation that was bought and paid for in the blood of Christ before he was ever born, that it was given to any man who would just trust Jesus. That would mean for a man to stand and to say, I'm a lost sinner, but I put my faith and my trust and my hope of salvation in you, Lord Jesus, that in your righteousness that you merited on the cross, that you will give me that in exchange for believing, and therefore I am saved. And that's what he found. And again, when a man through faith puts his trust in Christ, he always commits his life. He gives his life, not that his life saves him, but he gives it in honor of Jesus. And he gives it as a sense of gratitude because he has been saved. Certainly the life goes along. 
but again salvation is by believing what does that mean today in your life and mine today 446 years later doesn't it mean this that when we say I want to know the unvarnished truth what is the way to heaven and the word of God is here and it's by grace through faith by trusting doesn't it mean that we've got the answer to hopelessness is there any reason for any man ever to be hopeless all oh, the hopelessness in the world here's Winston Churchill's daughter commits suicide you wonder what's so hopeless in life we think of Judas taking his own life what's so hopeless what what is this thing but again when we understand that the way is not by our life but it is by trusting in Jesus think what that means that means there is no hopelessness you and I can't sin so greatly but what again if we trust Jesus there is eternal life I don't care what we have done it matters not what sins have been charged against us it matters not how far we have gone away there is only one sin that can condemn us and that sin is refusing to trust Jesus that's all the unpardonable sin is nothing but the sin that says I don't want to be saved I don't want to trust you Jesus I don't care what you have done or what I have done it's never hopeless the only thing that can prevent your salvation and mine is by refusing to put our trust in Christ as our personal Lord well, that's what Luther announced it wasn't new God knows it wasn't new it was the gospel it was the good news it was hope for the world no wonder it shook the world to its very foundations oh I stood in Worms Germany we were there one warm day in July we were the only two my wife and I and we had a guide with us all day a young lady a Lutheran who knew the history and I stood in Worms at the place where Luther had stood when he gave a defense of that new way of salvation which wasn't new at all and then again into the Lutheran church the Luther Kirche there in Germany and Worms and went in and emblazoned on the walls are the three articles of the Apostles Creed and the matchless explanations that Luther has written remember you memorize them remember especially the explanation of the second article and it's written there in the church in German I believe that Jesus Christ true God begotten of the Father from eternity and also true man born of the Virgin Mary is my Lord who has redeemed me a lost and condemned creature purchased and won me from all sin from death and from the power of the devil not with gold or silver but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness innocence and blessedness even as he is risen from the dead lives and reigns to all eternity this is most certainly true do you remember it written emblazoned on the walls of the church and then there was the Lutterplatz again the Luther Park where Luther stands a large monument with the reformers with a Bible in his hand with the words inscribed here stay ye kunnik unders God help me here I stand I cannot do otherwise God help me what does it mean to you and me listen it means this it means that salvation is open bought and paid for and ready for you and me right now not five minutes from now right now this is the moment in your life and mine I don't care who you are I don't care if you've been guilty of murder I don't care if you've murdered ten unborn children I don't care what adultery has beset you I don't care how many things you've done that you can't undo 
I don't care how many things stand and they stand as history and they haunt you but I know this just as certain as there's a God in heaven in this moment right now there is life and salvation for you because it's by grace it's been bought and paid for Jesus bore hell for all of those things before you were born and he says if you trust me right now if you can turn and say to him I'm a sinner but I trust you right now well you don't have to make up anything tomorrow and you can do that later but right now this is the moment in your life Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Can you say that? You can say it in your pew or where I'm standing here, wherever you are on the radio. You can say, don't pass me by. I trust you as my Lord. You can stand right now as saved, forgiven, one of God's children. That's what the Reformation meant. And when Martin Luther was ready to die, that's what his faith and his trust were. It was peace because he had announced a new way but it wasn't new at all. It was the same old way that God had revealed in the scriptures. May God grant you and me in this moment peace in Jesus Christ. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unites your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting